Hello Waterloo Road fans, it's Tom here, your podcast host, just popping by before we get started to tell you about our Patreon page. As I'm sure you know by now, that is a subscription service where you can get extra content from us for a small subscription fee by heading to patreon.com slash Pod. We do lots of stuff, extended versions of our interview specials, looks back at particular characters, reviews of other school-based shows, including Britannia High, and our Waterloo Road Awards, where we recap the best and the worst of the show. Our awards for the second half of Series 5 have just gone live in the last week or two. So I would like to thank those of you who have already subscribed to the Patreon. So thank you to Georgia Leah, aka The Avocado Bath, on both Instagram and TikTok. Thank you to Maddie, to Claudia Graham, to Emily Berry, to Lucy, to Hannah Louise, who would like to shout out NHS Mental Health Services. Thank you to Eve, to Joe Buckle, to Natalie, who is at Natalie the Book Reader on Instagram. Thank you to Dylan Gover, aka Dylan S. Gover on TikTok. Thank you to Tom Percival, to Matthew Kumar, to Lottie Smith, and to Sarah Mython. Your support is much appreciated, and if you would like to join that list of shoutouts, all you need to do is go to patreon.com slash waterlooroadpod. And now without any further ado, let's get on with this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. I am your Waterloo Road superfan, Tom Beasley, joined as ever by Luke Stevenson. Are we ready for another hour of premium BBC TV? I've already watched it, Tom. Don't lie to people (laughs) about the structure of the podcast. We don't do this as it happens. (laughs) Maybe we should when the new one comes out. Do a live watch along. Yeah. I, I think we'd lose the magic, you know. <laughs> I, I think we'd both agree that our best our best moments are the ones where me and you get to like we sit silently on our notepads and workshop ideas to our to ourselves <laughs> and then bring out the best ones on the pod. This is literally as good as it gets. Just and an then hour out the smarty ones. An hour of you yelling, Dante killed a child at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's the bus driver. <laughs> I was in this episode. I was desperate for like just for a gag when Fleur nearly gets hit by a car. Just have Dante's head pop out of it, just for our uh, series one <laughs> homies. Um, so this episode begins with Vicky living at a homeless shelter. Now the thing with this is, at the end of the last episode. Vicky was going to live with her mum. Yeah, they do not fully explain that that is not her mum for far too long. For ages! And then even once they do, they take an awful long time to explain why she's not with her mum. Yeah, it's just she's not around. That's a very weird sentence. Yeah! So I was so confused for so long. <laughs> it's all a bit like, it's kind of like that. I was like, oh, we, we can't be bothered to get social workers in on this too much. But like, there's absolutely, there'd be a social work case in this um and the thing is was i I believe if you if you're over 16 you have some more rights over where you are and what you say you can choose certain things but like how no one's saying no no no. if your mum just doesn't live around here anymore that isn't a reason for you to not go live with her when you have nowhere else to live they wouldn't put a 16 year old girl in a homeless shelter 
this is one of those big like kind of trademark fiction scenarios as well where social services are like the ultimate bad guy <laughs> like oh if you do anything the social the social they'll take you away if they know you've been here they'll black mark you for life the social yeah. it's like what would they do <laughs> this is so bizarre so the um the so her roommate at the homeless shelter is uh, comes into the room and puts the stereo on and she's drinking. Um, Vicky's trying to revise for her chemistry exam that she's got that day. And this woman, Chantal, is like, school is for losers. And then she's like, do you think you're better than me because you're doing school and I'm doing beer? Yeah, it's so, like, just full. It's 2011. It's benefit street writing, isn't it? Oh, big time. Big time. I didn't go to school and look at me. It's just like, that's yeah. not how all people behave. <laughs> no. Um, so we see Grantley kind of preparing the home for Fleur before he leaves. He's putting post-it notes up so to kind of make it easier for her to remember stuff. Um, this That storyline is kind of an admirable example of the show letting things play out in the background and just building a storyline. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like they're in a rush to pay that off. Yeah, I suppose. Maybe this is like, as we saw in last week's episode, sometimes they'll introduce things, they just won't pay it off at all. Maybe, <laughs> you know, Cheska's, you know, being tired that one day will come back in series eight. Uh, Vicky doesn't want to tell the school or social services about her current situation because she's worried that if they know, then they won't let her just go and live with her dad when he gets out of hospital. Um, but the key worker lady at the hostel says there's been complaints made about noise coming from their room and that you could just be evicted. And so she says that it was Chantal who made all the noise, which is true. <laughs> Couldn't the key worker just either open the door or listen to <laughs> when someone knocks on the wall and says, turn it down. You can hear Chantal yell out loudly saying, I'm not turning it down. Yeah. I don't think it's Could a quite- mystery. <laughs> Couldn't quite crack that case, could you? <laughs> but it's because she's like a social worker, a key worker, and they are stupid and evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, like later on when she just goes, oh, here is the merest amount of evidence, therefore I am presuming guilt yes. until you roll on someone else. Yeah. Um. So... Uh, Ruby is kind of fretting about leaving Poppy uh, with John... Um, I don't really know why. Men not be able to do <laughs> yeah. things. That's it, isn't it? Datcha. It's like, all men know is Datchas. That's all they <laughs> understand. <laughs> Cars, uh, booze and shaving. That's all men are good at. You can't do any of those with a baby. Uh, so Janice has come back to work. Uh, Karen is a podcast listener. Thank you. She like says... That. A week is a long time. A week is a short time to be back to work. Do we have to? Do we have to say they've done this so many times? We have to accept broadly that it's always a week between episodes. I feel like we do, but I like to assume that the characters have uh, taken us into account. Yeah, yeah. When they're on cliffhangers and return, that's when it's like the week gap it just makes no sense. Yeah. So, um, uh, Vicky uh, goes to see her dad in the hospital. Um, She's talking about how she's preparing for this chemistry exam so she can go to do medicine at university because that's what she wanted to do. And her dad always said he'd be proud of her if she managed that. 
our lives are just so bloody easy, aren't they? Yeah, this episode just, really kind of brings that home. It's just really like just quite comfortable. Yeah. You know, everyone's life is different. Everyone's life has challenges, but I've never had these bloody challenges. No, no. So the doctor then tells Vicky that her dad now has an infection on his chest and that because of the increased vulnerability after the stroke, he's kind of struggling to fight it off and that uh, says that Vicky's going to have to prepare herself for, for the worst. What I, what I don't understand is maybe this is just the system and it could just be the system, but I don't understand a world where there are so many professionals having these very serious conversations with a 16-year-old, 17-year-old girl by herself. Yeah. Like, I would imagine, you know, her dad is in hospital, her mum is not there. She definitely mentions having a social worker. You'd yeah. think she'd have someone with her for these kind of things. Because if it's like end-of-life care, there are decisions that have to be made. There yeah. are affairs that need to be got into order. She's not capable of doing that. It's just, it's just so weird but i suppose it it uh, you know they might just be taking liberties there just to kind of ex you know extend the idea that she is just on her own basically yeah i think i think that's what it is because the story kind of falls apart if any of the people she's dealing with talk to each other yeah that's true um so they have to kind of like you say amplify how alone she is so she's she turns up late for her chemistry exam um, and, and so, you know, it's kind of implied that she's going to do terribly in it. Um, she's got an aggressive message on her phone from from Chantal saying she's now her ex-roommate and saying she's she's got her kicked out. Um, I think, well, here's the thing. Like, so she puts, like, the phone down yeah. and then says out loud, you're dead, Vicky. Now, that helps us as an audience understand how serious she is. And actually, the other person in the cafe is just watching... <laughs> Watch this woman sat by herself going, you're dead, Vicky. So Karen confronts Grantley in the hallway. Karen kind of comes through some double doors and it plays like this like Western music. Like she's just kicked through into the saloon. <laughs> um, so yeah, Karen says that uh, there's some personal statements for the GCSE class that he should have done a week ago and that she wants them yeah, on her desk by the end of the day. I wanted to raise one thing about the science exam. There are a lot of things I want to raise about the science exam. Uh, none of those calculators are scientific calculators, so they're all going to struggle. No. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, come on, basic attention to detail. It was a, a defining thing of our entire secondary school life is that you had to have a scientific calculator. Yes. Um, and you'd think that a science teacher would be the one to know. <laughs> it's in the name yeah. of the calculator. <laughs> I think, like, Jess has a little, like, blue one with, like, six buttons on it. It's like, that's not going to help yeah. anybody, Jess. Yeah. And then, like, what, how are they doing, like, exam-based exam... Like, sorry, proper exams that contribute to their overall grade in school with no, like, monitor there? I assume that it's coursework done under exam conditions. Doesn't sound real. Which, which does happen. And then Chris marks all of this coursework in yes. the space of 40 minutes. That I had a problem with. <laughs> when he said, I'll put them on the window by lunchtime today, I went, what the... How? You don't have any other responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> he only teaches that one class, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jess tells Jonah in a sort of flirty voice that she has a surprise for him later. I don't know how Jonah gets anything done that day. <laughs> <laughs> he just goes about his life. 
But like when you when you're 17, 18, you look like Jonah, every third girl comes up to you and says, I have a surprise for you later. It's just whether he wants to accept it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, having never been in that position, I don't <laughs> No, I can only dream. Yeah. So uh Jess talks to Vicky about, you know, being in the shelter or whatever. She's clearly the only person that knows that Vicky's staying at the shelter. Um, but Vicky kind of won't open up about the, the kind of true extent of how bad her situation is. Um, I mean, she's in a shelter. Like, this, I just can't believe that, like, Jess... So Vicky said, I'm going. The next day, she's in a homeless shelter, and, Vicky, and Jess doesn't just say, OK, come back to my house. Yeah, like, The idea that clearly. a week has passed with Jess in this place, just like, that with Vicky in this place, just seems odd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Janice invites herself to some drinks that Tom and Cheska are going to that evening. Um, and not only invites herself, but invites her mates, Noodles and Crystal. I could only assume Spoons was unavailable. I, I've got written <laughs> down, this party isn't about me, or you, or Noodles. <laughs> could you imagine inviting yourself to something someone else has organised? I I'd know. I'd be embarrassed if someone invites me to something just like yeah. outright. Yeah. Um, so Vicky goes to speak to Chris. He asks her, you know, about her home life and whether everything's okay at home. She then tries to get him to change her mark in the exam. Um, he says he won't, but then she threatens to tell Karen about Jess. And then Chris says, we've been here before, remember? And I was like, yes, I do remember. And I'm so glad the show does. <laughs> Yeah, I was just I was preoccupied by the idea that I I think 80% of Chris's lines just okay, just stop it now. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just every, every episode is just like someone accusing him of something. It's like, okay, just stop it now. I'm tired then, of being blackmailed by teenage girls. Yeah. And then Chris like hears about her home life, and then he just goes, Seems like you failed yourself today. It's like, no, she you just heard all the backstory. She hasn't failed yeah. herself at all. The fact that she's walking around is a miracle. So Jess's surprise to Jonah is that her mum is working late that day. And so the house is free for them to do what they want. And he's not keen. I don't understand. I think that there's got to be more to Jonah's storyline here, right? Yes, I think that's coming in next week's episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe he is a he has been homeschooled until he's 17. I think Jonah's storyline is going to be that he is inexperienced and therefore nervous about the idea of, I mean... of doing it. I, I and you know, Jess has a reputation. So it would be that thing of being the, the newbie compared to the to the old. I mean, she also spent several weeks dating Finn and his notoriously small penis. So <laughs> she, she, she didn't find out if the rumours were true. The only person who could vouch for that is Amy, but she's just, I don't know what happened to Amy. <laughs> she's got amnesia. <laughs> Jess says she has a big bed. That's not true. We've seen it. It's a single bed. I think she's just making a point and making it very clearly. No, no. You, if you're saying big bed, I want you to de deliver. You have to, you have to spell it out to these homeschool kids. They're not worldly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's like, are we talking you know, California king size yeah. beds? Are we talking queen? Chris then talks to Jess about Vicky, 
um, reveals that she's threatened him. And then Jess confesses that she's not talking to her mum, and that's why she's living in a homeless shelter. But we're like half an hour into this episode before we find this out. Yeah, it takes a long time, because yeah, I, I, not until that point I fully believe that Chantel wasn't actually her mother. Yeah, I my first few notes refer to her as her mum. <laughs> because I just assumed... You know, we're good at we this. were told she was going to live with her mum, and then the next time we see her, she's around a woman who looks roughly old enough to be her mum. <laughs> yeah, and she doesn't like her mum, and we have fair reason to believe that when we see yeah. them two act together. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not set, the storyline is not set up very well. <laughs> they kind of they get to where they need to go, but uh, it, it, the the sort of foundations are not uh, not set very well. Um. So we've seen Grantley at this point uh, run out of the classroom because he's, uh, you know, he can't, because he's on the phone to Fleur and then he kind of can't hear her or can't get through to her. So he goes to check on her. Um, and conveniently, it's Ruby who finds the anarchy in Glant- Grantley's classroom because she's the only character who knows about Grantley's situation. Yeah, yeah. Because, but then again, any other character could would have found it and they go, this isn't a sackable offence because it's Grantley. <laughs> yeah. He does this once a year. <laughs> we, just, we, just, we just bake it in for Grantley. It's just, it's just yeah. cashed in. Um, so like got... when, he yells, when he yells shut up, the girl in the front row reacts on a delay. <laughs> so he yells shut up, it cuts to everybody, and then she's there smiling, and he goes... <gasps> <laughs> the, the camera's on you, the camera's on you. <laughs> react, react. React. Um, this is so... my moment. <laughs> Grantley gets home to find that the, the 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 doors kind of open. Fleur is very upset because she believes she's heard the noise of someone in the house, someone who's come to to steal her stuff. And uh, Grantley kind of reassures her before heading back to the school. So okay, I just feel like they're doing they're trying too many big things for this episode. Hmm. Like the Grantley and Fleur thing deserves more space that it's being given. Where you've also got you know, Vicky's homelessness her dad yeah. dying and all of that it's you know we never we used to have you know we used to have two comedy plots an episode <laughs> not two serious plots an episode yeah we need we need a steph haydock subplot <laughs> yeah just do a nude calendar <laughs> um so vicky is now talking to chris talks about how um her mum has now got a new life and it's a life that doesn't involve her but chris then says uh, I am going to change your grade, but you have to go and, uh, in return, go meet my friend who runs a foyer. Do you know what a foyer is? No. See, I thought it was just my middle classness going, I, you know, she runs the entry entrance room to a hotel. Yeah. Because that's what, that's what a foyer is in my mind. Or it's like a little, you know, it's like a little room you walk into in your house where, like, shoes are kept. And then you go through a second door into yeah. the main house. Or like a cinema foyer. Well, I'm not. I'm not lame, so I wouldn't know. A, c- a cinema yeah. or a theatre foyer where the food is served. But no, Google tells me that a foyer provides secure, supported housing to young people aged between 16 and 25. So Chantal then then meets Vicky outside the school, threatens her, says, "You're finished, snitch. You're finished. What does she have? <laughs> what does she have to be finished?" Well, it's just uh, it, she's going to frame her at the yeah. home. 
George, what annoys me about the way that Chris acts in this uh, Chris acts in this episode is his resolution about the exam should be his first thought about the exam. When she turns up late, he should say, yeah. "Okay, you can resit this tomorrow." But no, it yeah. takes him a whole day of making every single thing worse before he goes, you yeah. can resit your exam as well. Yeah. Like, so at this point, he should go, my friend runs this foyer. In light of what I now know about your circumstances, I will arrange for you to resit the exam. Yes. And no one needs to know that I had sex <laughs> yeah. with Jess, okay? Exactly. Exactly. And the whole episode is finished by half 11. It's back. Yeah. yeah. I, I will fix both of your problems, your housing and your exam. <laughs> Without compromising myself, and then I'll be. Uh, this will be done soon enough for me to get over to the hospital and resuscitate your dad. Okay. <laughs> Jonah tries to uh, reassure Jess that he hasn't like rejected her or whatever. He just wants to like wait and make it special. Um, and they kind of kiss and say they're kind of formally a couple. And then Finn is lurking behind the door. And then the next line is Jess telling Jonah about Vicky's situation. And Finn now is like an inch behind them. <laughs> he's so close. Like, does Finn have like a spell that he puts on like himself and the women he's with? Because he's like, he has no issue with Jess a week later having moved on with this you know, other guy. It's really like, oh, there's some gossip about a homeless girl. Also, we went to school. Do you think if you learned that one of your classmates and friends was homeless, your first instinct would be, let's make fun of this? Yeah, no, not at all. We were all pricks as teenagers, but I think I was that much of a prick. No, I don't think people were. It's one of those things, isn't it? Like, there are certain types of quote-unquote weakness that that people will always get bullied for. But I feel like that particular thing is so severe... That most people would be decent enough to not make fun of yeah. it. It's like, how's it? Well, well, Jess wasn't she living with you? Can't she just do that again? Yeah. There's there's never an explanation as to why she can't just move back in with Jess. No. And, and indeed, Karen, when she finds out, basically says as much. Like, if I'd yeah. known, you could have just moved back in. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's very contrived. Um, so uh, we see uh, Chris changing Vicky's mark. Um, Dacha John is back at the school with Poppy. It's unclear why he's back. <laughs> well, he says something like, the baby's been crying all morning. I wanted Ruby's help. That's not how a place of work works. No. You can't just go in with a baby and just be like, hey, I'm setting up here today. Do they not still have a crash that he could have sought advice from? Well, I believe that's where... In the next time trailer, we see Janine Steeler from next week. Janine, <laughs> Janine. But, but um, yeah, it's just odd that he's just thinking this is fine. And then Tom voices his disapproval. He does because he's so that John lets Janice like say hello to Poppy and then asks Janice, Are you okay with this? And then Tom's just sort of watching with his beady eyes. Yes, because Tom, who lived with Chloe and Mika for three years. <laughs> after their mum died, has very strong reservations about, you know, people living outside of their blood relatives. Yes. <laughs> um, so like, a few scenes later, we see Tom and John have a big row about the baby and about the fact they're exploiting Janice. And he says he's just looking out for her. It is, it is so weird how before all of this happened, like Ruby and John went, we won't consult a lawyer till afterwards because this will only end well for us. 
Yeah, that's like weird. It, when they were considering about doing a formal like surrogacy process. It's so odd that they just go into this one and then drop all the full surrogacy of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You think you'd had Janice sign papers in the same way they would have other people sign papers? Yeah. Yeah, form- formally minded enough to do an interview process for the surrogate, but not formally minded enough to sign anything. Yeah. <laughs> like it would be fine if they'd like made a thing about them like putting off the signing of the papers. So like, oh, don't worry, we'll sort those when the baby comes or whatever. And like Janice putting it off, almost planting the seed in our heads that maybe she's not as all right with it as we think she is. Yeah, but that would be character building. But instead, <laughs> instead what we get is Janice going, I don't want to have a baby for eight weeks. Then she has the baby. And as this show will have us all believe, yeah. a woman is... Uh, is first and foremost a slave to her uterus and her uterine instincts. Yes. Because it's just, you see the child you want to give away, you want it back. No yeah. decent mother could ever give away a child. I think um, I think uterine instincts were on the Bill at Download Festival last year. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> very loud, very messy show, aren't they? <laughs> Um, so Chris has, despite everything he's had going on this morning, he's marked all the exams. <laughs> oh, genius! Again, I say I've been saying this the whole series, but how is he not walking around constantly ill with stress? <laughs> he has sex with a girl at the school, whose mum is his boss. How do you even function with that? Like, at some point that morning, while all of this is going on, he's had to sit and professionally mark Jess's exam paper. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, you know, sometimes I'll remember a moment from 10 years ago and I lose a morning. (laughs) I lose a morning thinking about it. Going, I wonder if that other person still thinks about this. They don't. Only I am there. But Chris is just like, yeah, yeah, put a tick here, tick here. (laughs) Gee, I hope no one tells my boss that I slept with their daughter. <laughs> um, so Ronan is kind of not happy about the marks because he's got a D and Vicky's got a B. And you're like, how could she have got a B? She came in late and, you know, she was doing this, that or the other. Um, Karen kind of hears Ronan's protests and then he she goes and quizzes Chris because he looks so shell-shocked. It, it's so weird that... Karen's just like, oh, this is immediately suspicious. Ronan got a U. Karen could just go, well, she got a B and you got a U because you're a simpleton, Ronan. <laughs> it's just like when he's got when he's done so badly, it doesn't like it's just odd that he didn't go, hmm, Roman's word here is gospel. Yeah. There's a strange little bit which in a better context would have really worked, which is Grantley and Ruby talking about Fleur. And Grantley sort of says, oh, I'm doing all of these things for her. I've been up since six o'clock doing post-it notes and I don't know if I'm helping. And that's a really powerful moment. But the show just sort of wedges it in. Yeah. Again, it's that competing. You've got too many big storylines in this episode. Yeah. So like that, that's potentially a really powerful moment, especially for a character in Grantley who doesn't get to do much actual emotional stuff. No, he gets a full half second of it and then it's done. Yeah. Um, so Vicky gets a call from Margie, the key worker at the shelter, um, says something very serious has happened. You have to come immediately. 
it turns out that Margie has found her stolen purse in Vicky's bed. Um, so Margie then says, um, you know, this obviously, you know, doesn't look good or whatever. Um, was it you or was it someone else? And then Vicky, rather than just saying, yes, it's that person you have already kicked out for doing something wrong. She wanted to get revenge on me. Vicky like blows up and goes, oh, once someone's in here, everyone just thinks we're scum. And then she storms out. To be fair, that is how that key worker acts. It's just yes. like, the, the key worker herself can't go, oh, this problem person who was just here and just thrown out might have done this as an act of revenge. Instead, she just goes, well, here is, here is the smoking gun and you are 100% guilty, Vicky. She never actually gives her the benefit of any doubt. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, uh, Cheska and Charlie have had a little conversation about their concerns about Vicky. I still don't understand why Cheska and Charlie have a relationship. <laughs> no, especially after she admitted that she was sorry about, like... Yeah. I don't, don't get it. Um, so they then decide to go to Karen with these concerns because they've noticed Vicky's not at school in, in the afternoon. Um, so Karen asks Janice to get the, like the history of her grades and all of Vicky's like graphs and stuff for her grades have been updated with that new chemistry mark immediately. That's such an efficient, yeah. it's an efficient system. And I love, I love Karen's like, it's just classic old school filmmaking. Karen's just like, mm. yeah. the big, the big tap of the finger. Yeah. It's very good. Jack Hughes. Yes, it's very Jack. The, the Karen goes to Chris and is like, Jack Hughes, she says, can you explain the anomaly? It's like, it's like she was good at it once, which suggests she could be good at it again. Unless, because yeah. it's just like, Karen's acting on a mad amount of suspicion here, which is only driven because the plot needs it for it to happen. Whereas any other teacher would go, oh, her grades were falling and they come back up. Fantastic. That's good. Yeah, like obviously someone's had a conversation with her and said, because like Chris tries to say it almost, like, oh, she obviously realised how important this exam was. Yeah. But then, like, but then Karen says, is there anything you're not telling me, Chris? And Chris's face says, so much. <laughs> Don't open that door. Yeah. It's, it's like when I got to like, you know, this probably like GCSE stage, when I realised I didn't care about, I didn't want to do science or maths, for any like ever again my grades and those all went down because i wasn't focusing on them because i was yeah. putting all of my effort into the ones that i did care about so it's just i just don't like you know i know the plot demands it and chris has done something wrong but it's just so weird that she like chris gets very unlucky that karen was having a particularly suspicious day yeah um and he he under philip never fill levels of questioning admits to changing the grade yeah just immediately and he says he did it because he you know knows that she's really good in this subject and he really wanted her to do well and then says to karen um i found out today that um that vicky's living in a homeless shelter and he says uh, i'm aware that what i've just told you that i did is a sackable offense but can we put the talk of my future in the job on hold until i can like sort out vicky's living situation with my friend who runs this foyer because the I don't want the evil social services getting hold of her. <laughs> yeah, well, what would what, what they do? They'd probably put her in the same place. Yeah, yeah exactly. And would they not? Check- surely, surely that's what they'd do. 
And yeah, at this point, she because she's old enough and her parent has now died, she'd have some form of like financial support available to her. Yeah, like I didn't know about these fo- these foyers, but it sounds like what they do is cater to people exactly like Vicky, who are perhaps slightly too old to get the support afforded to children, but you know, not old enough to to be fending for themselves. The the kids there, so Vicky gets back to the school. Um, the kids have all found out about her being homeless, so they're all being horrible. Um, Amy and Finn are sat together joking about Vicky, and I just, I can't. Like, no, it's so <laughs> annoying. I dress it. Oh, it's... Just, I, this, this week, for a meme, like, just every single episode of the podcast, we should just do a... Here's Finn and Amy with an elephant in the room, and every week they don't mention it, <laughs> the elephant gets bigger. <laughs> it's, it's infuriating. Um, and they say, well, Vicky, you know, obviously whatever happened has been changed because your grade's been changed back to an E. Um, that seems an unnecessarily cruel step for Chris to have taken. <laughs> when... A reset is on the table. It's really easy for him to arrange. A-levels are just all resets. Yeah. And like, so he's been given... Every single person reset an A-level exam. So he's been given permission by Karen to, like, put his future on hold while he sorts out this stuff for Vicky. As we find out later, one of the things he's sorting out is permission for her to reset the exam. So he doesn't need to go out there, like... Yeah, if he's already doing that, he does not need to cruelly humiliate her. (laughs) On what he already knows is a very bad day for her. And it hasn't even got as bad as it's going to get yet. No, yeah, she hasn't yet. She hasn't found the worst of it yet. No. Um, But she's then angry at Jess because she obviously assumes that Jess has told everyone about her living situation. Grantley then goes and hands in all the personal statements uh, to Janice because he's got them all sorted. And she's looking mournfully at her scan photo of the baby. Because a woman cannot, she is a slave to her uterine urges. <laughs> her uterine instincts. Uterine instincts. Well, you know, uterine and their self, urges. And their, self, their self-titled debut album. Uterine <laughs> urges. <laughs> And this is when many of horror, Biffy Clyro, when we collide, kicks in. Because it has oh, yeah. to be in every episode. Oh, um, and this plays song. as Vicky turns up to the hospital and sees that her dad's bed is empty. No, no one, one phoned her. her. Yeah. <laughs> we, said, <laughs> we said that exactly so far. No one phoned her. It's just like really like, Oh, yeah, his 16-year-old daughter, she comes around every afternoon. Yeah. So she'll be, we don't need to call her. She'll be in. Yeah. We'll just do nothing and let her dramatically discover the empty bed of her father. Well, it's just... <laughs> the other thing as well is the key worker takes on a new level of evil because she could have been there saying goodbye to her dad for one last time while the key worker was accusing her of stealing wallet. Yeah. yeah. Karen and Charlie now talk to Harry. There's been a running thread through the episode that they want Harry to get some sort of therapy and professional help. Um, for his eating disorder and Harry's been getting you know really tired of them both kind of pincer movement harassing him about it um, and then he says a line that no 15 year old has ever said which is I'll go and talk to the shrink <laughs> he 
he gets a very big uh, I know you don't like us when we mention peep show but he gets a, <laughs> he gets a, I just want to be clear this isn't therapy uh, <laughs> yeah it's like that's how Karen and Charlie introduced it to him it's like we think you should talk to someone <laughs> independent yeah yeah <laughs> are you sectioning me <laughs> So Grantley goes back to his house to check on Fleur. Um, he can't find her. And then she ambushes him with a book because she doesn't recognise him and thinks he's an intruder. And then she runs out of the house into the road and almost gets hit by a car. And then Dante pops his head out. <laughs> um, I like to... After, after the old school of the uh, of Karen's tapping finger, we had the old school close-up of the the lock on the door yes like, it's, it's just quite clear like a Chekhov's lock immediately yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah someone's getting out definitely um and then if, uh, we get another really emotional tender scene between them that is not given enough time because it's sandwiched in between everything where she makes him promise he won't put her in a home yeah again which would be a lovely end to an episode but instead it's just like no it's a it's a button on this big jacket and we must yeah. move on to the next one. Um, so Vicky leaves the hospital, goes back to this grotty cafe she was in at the end of the last episode. It's very much the loser's cafe from The Apprentice. Yeah, very much that. Yes. Greasy, greasy spoons. But you just know they do the best cooked breakfast in the town. Oh, it's, it is the best kind of cooked breakfast. So Chantal is at the cafe and uh, Vicky tells her about uh, her dad. And then Chantal does this thing, and it's really, I think it's really badly handled, which is the, oh, you're lucky. You've got people who care about you, and I've got no one. The bloody social took my son away because I'm drinking. And it's this, like, really, it's just so cack-handed, the way it does the, you don't realise how lucky you are. You could be like me. I've got nothing. I need to go and make sure I can get my spot before some other homeless person gets it. Yeah, I wasn't. It, just, it doesn't work. I wasn't a fan of the Chantel writing at all. No, it's too. It's too broad. It's it's too so tropey. Yeah, it's very tropey. And it's just like you know, her dad has just died. And just look on the bright side. You have people who care about you. It's like that's still not yeah. a bright side. Like yeah, you still have nowhere to live. Yeah. And and the upshot is she's still not going to live with her friend. She's going to live in a accommodation for people, you know, in her situation. That still yeah. isn't a permanent residence that she's be able to use as yeah. a base for the rest of her life, like she would be able to with her parents. Yeah. Um, so this the next bit is bizarre. So back at the school, Karen and Chris are trying to track down Vicky. And Karen says to Chris, Well, Jess said she left with all of her stuff. It's not looking good, is it? She's so casual about it. A, it, a girl it has disappeared, which is triggering for Karen. Yeah. She's like, well... Karen talks about it the way we talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not looking good. She she hunted a girl down on the moors six weeks ago. Yeah. She's like, well, a girl goes missing every week. This week, I'm just yeah. going to give a little synopsis. Not looking it's, good. I think it's just further evidence that Karen is a self-aware fictional character who has seen the show and listened to our podcast. Yeah, yeah. Either that or there are eight different Karens. <laughs> that would be a twist. <laughs> so um, Vicky then calls Jess um, and Jess then tells Karen and Chris that she knows where Vicky is. Um, they go to the cafe um, and kind of 
meet her there and find out what's happened. Uh, Chris then takes Vicky to this friend of his who runs this foyer. It's a beautiful place. Very spacious. Yeah. It's weird because it's clearly supposed to be like the end of the storyline. Because it's all like, look at this beautiful Eden we're moving you into. <laughs> I thought when, uh, when Chris is talking to Vicky there, he's just like, I do the same for any of my students. It just happens to always be you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only the ones who blackmail me. <laughs> so, like, Chris, for someone who, with the background Chris has, he spends a lot of time driving these teenage girls to houses alone. <laughs> I like if you if your goal was to hide it, you would stay so far away from these yeah. two girls' lives as could possibly because everywhere you intertwine with them, it just makes it more Yeah. Yeah. We then see Janice turning up at Ruby's because John had said she could come over John and Ruby had said she could come over whenever to meet the baby. So she goes to their house, she wants to hold Poppy, and then we get in the foreground. Ruby fretting to John about what might happen if Janice won't let go of the baby and uh, and wants her. And then we see Janice saying, oh, between me and you, we're going to call you Cheryl. And so that's what we're setting up. Something that they could have solved if they'd got paperwork signed a month ago. Yeah, she is a slave to her, her uterine instincts. Uterine instincts. I, like, it's not the episode title. It cannot be the episode title. <laughs> No, absolutely not. It cannot be the episode title. The episode title. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so with Janice, there is where the episode ends. This is, it's kind of similar to last week's episode in that I don't mind the central story at all. In fact, parts of it are really good, but there's so much stuff going on that everything gets crowded out by everything else. Yeah, so it feels meaningless, even when the meaningful things are quite interesting. Yes. It's just... and Because the other thing as well is every storyline involving Chris has the whole Jess thing running in the background. Yes. So it's not really about Vicky. It's about when is this thing going to come out? Because that's the big thing everybody's waiting for, is what's going to happen when that comes out. Next week, it seems. Yeah, yeah, it seems... (laughs) Oh, it's just it's just like the uh, the next one trailer is messing with us, and Joe is just like, I know, I I know it was you who ate the last bag of crisps. <laughs> when has the next time trailer ever not told us exactly what's going to happen in the next episode? Yeah, in fact, this is a particularly good example because it takes us through every beat of the storyline with Chris and Jess. They're going to do in the next episode. Yeah, so it's exactly. like, like Jonah finds out. Jonah has a fight with Chris about it. Chris then has to go and tell Karen. We well, just skip to the end, really. We don't really take notes about the rest. Yeah. Uh, and then there's so there's uh, the rest of the next time trailer is Ruby telling Grantley that he might, you know, might need to let Fleur go. And then Janice taking the baby. Just running away with it. Running away. Was this, was this when, it, when stealing babies was quite big on the BBC? <laughs> In what sense? Because it was that big EastEnders storyline that everyone got mad about. Wasn't oh, it? yes. It was Samantha like, Womack, like Ronnie, wasn't it? Yeah. Ronnie Mitchell uh, stole a child. It probably was a similar time. I think the EastEnders one was a bit later. Yeah, they just have to throw this stuff around, do they? <laughs> but it's very soapy. 
So yeah, I thought it was a real mixed bag of an episode. The last two have been like that. It's just there, there are there are nuggets of good things in there, but they're trying to do so much. They've also it's become like in the idea that they're trying to set other storylines up now. They aren't giving the storylines they're doing enough time. Yeah. So we're now looking we're looking at a three four episode thing about um, Janice wanting to have her baby, but that is crowding out the the big kind of thing about you know harry's bulimia being the story the, the story of the week vicky's living situation with the story of the week that storyline is interfering in those and pushing them further aside yeah it's it's interesting because they're not doing what they usually do which is wrap everything up in episode eight and then have to do new stories to get to the mid-series break yeah, where's the performance coming from? Exactly, they've done the debating competition. It, it looks like Jonah's doing a presentation next week. How is that not the... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, so... The amazing thing about this story is, is Chris is absolutely going to keep his job and still be a part 100%, of the job. 100%. 100%. How do you, like, if the school knows, how do you ever recover from that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but... surely either Chris or Jess has to go. And it doesn't seem like either of them are. No. But at but, the same time, we'd have said that about Finn and Amy. Yeah, but well, then they'll memory hole it. They'll yeah. come back after the mid-series break and people will be like, nope, Chris, never- yeah. Chris loves forgetting he's had sex with people over the mid-series break. <laughs> yeah, he does, he does. Chris specialises in it. <laughs> Chris's memory is wiped after every mid-series of the show. <laughs> um, Playout song. It is slim pickings. Who are Slim Pickings? <laughs> they supported Uterine Instincts on tour. <laughs> <laughs> for the for the real uh, the real Friends fans, the Slim Pickings thing will go down very nicely because that's a joke that Chandler makes about a wedding band, and Monica goes, "Who are you seeing? You go Slim Pickings. Oh no one, no no Slim Pickings. They're a band. They play. <laughs> oh no, it's a restaurant. Sorry, it's a restaurant, not a band. But yeah." Um, so basically, the playout song for this week is one of about three sad indie songs that plays in the second half of the episode. I'm just going to pick have, one. Can't we just have Jamiroquise from last week? <laughs> we said we'd pay it forward. That is not how this works. <laughs> I mean, we had they're going to taste great from a Frosty's advert one. Yes, but that was to get an iconic bit of popular culture onto the podcast. We did the same thing when we had Colourblind by Darius. (laughs) Exactly. So either do, you know, Jamiroquai or do Dear Maria Count Me In by All Time Low. Well, at least you've remembered her name's Maria now. (laughs) We were floating like particles into the night. High above the factories, we hitched a lift on a satellite. And lover, why you spare?